On today's episode of Tell Me What You Know, we are talking about world wrestling entertainment. We've got a special guest on the show, a co-worker of ours and self-proclaimed knower of all things wrestling, Scott Schaefer. We're going to do a brief history of the organization, talk about the road to becoming a WWE superstar, and hear some opinions on what the WWE could be doing better. Listen in and we'll give you an atomic powerbomb. That's the bottom line. What's going on, everybody? Today is Wednesday, August 12th. One, not, two. It's not a question. That is today's date. <laughs> and this is episode 16 of season two of Tell Me What You Know. Uh, we hope you guys like the new format. Uh, this is the second week of us trying this. Let us know what you think. We're going to jump into today's topic, WWE, shortly. But first, Michael, what have you learned this week? I learned this week that this is ridiculous i learned this week that cowboy boots Uh are designed to fly off your feet when a horse bucks you there's no way they're They're hard to get off they're impossible to get on or off all right i they're They're supposed to stay in this they're also they're also designed to make sure that your feet feel stable when they're in the stirrup Mm -hmm. and they have a pointed edge so that it makes it easier to you know get it through the stirrup Mm -hmm. but i think that when they i'm trying to think think it through getting thrown off a horse and you're falling back i think that the the bottom metal part of the stirrup catches like the back boot part mm. and your feet gotta come out because if you get thrown and the horse wants to like oh, run, so you break your leg the horse your rolls leg over on you and then drags you you die yeah so you gotta have a way to get out so i i, I this is what i learned i learned that they were designed to i think come out ah, i have better ideas for shoes that come off easier than cowboy boots <laughs> <laughs> that's the sole purpose of them. <laughs> well, you got to be stable and yeah. come off. Yeah, it's true. So it's a it's a weird duality there. What about like those, uh, like you know, like Adidas breakaway pants? But oh, yeah. you just, the <laughs> you buttons just... unsnap whenever you fall off. <laughs> maybe maybe you come up with a better idea. Yeah, really really strong work boot with just those little buttons. Little buttons on them. Just little buttons. All right. right. Yeah. Interesting. I'm interested in this. All right. One thing I learned this week is there. Well, we all know there's a lot of crimes out there. There's cyber crimes. There's violent crimes. Nonviolent crimes. But I learned about a new type of crime. That's the California nut crimes. You heard about these? No. Uh, so apparently, there's a sophisticated crime syndication that's dedicated to hijacking loads of nuts from California. Well, it's just like Dominic Toretto flying around and and just nonviolent. Not okay. Nonviolent. Typically. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, take the nuts. I mean, Dom, you know, Dominic Toretto, is, I think, would be nonviolent, ideally, but sometimes, you know, it calls for, for a little bit of violence. He's uh, such a good driver. He doesn't need violence. That's right. California produces 80% of the world's almonds. Their nut industry brings in $9 billion a year. Wow. Nuts are obviously appealing because it's not illegal to have them on you. There's no serial numbers on them. <laughs> it's just like, these are my almonds. This God, is my 4 billion numbers. pounds of almonds. <laughs> uh, so they have these, like... Very sophisticated crime groups that have like just taken to hijacking loads and loads of almonds, and like a lot of times they'll do like uh, uh, identity theft type stuff to like say, yeah, I'm this truck driver that's supposed to be picking up this load. Fake trucks. They'll actually hire real truck drivers for the jobs who have no idea they're in on it. So um, it looks normal. It looks completely above yeah. board. Yeah. All this kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's a high. There's a worldwide. Uh, the, the market for like the, the nuts worldwide is super high as well. So it's a big payday between 2013 and 2017, at least 35 truckloads of nuts worth about $10 million were reported stolen. Wow. Yeah. Uh, like I said, the, the, the majority of the nut thefts were, were pickup frauds, no violence or damage to property or anything else like that. Uh, yeah. So it's California nut crimes. It kind of reminds me of, uh, when you, when you covered heist, the yeah. bumblebee heist, like right. people moving bumblebees, like weird things to steal right. that do have value. If you know how to kind of like 
just get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, sell it. These are like, like Dominic Tretto's going after DVD players. Well, like, these are right almonds. But like in, in these, in this case, you would have to assume the suspect in this in this in stealing nuts. Yeah, we have to be pretty knowledgeable about the nut industry. Yeah, right. I guess so. Like, basically, you could tell me that this truck worth the t- was worth ten million dollars worth of nuts, but it's not worth ten million dollars to me because I don't know how to. Well, he's got to know where to move it, right? Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. So I, I feel like I would feel like the the circle of players mm-hmm. that would be your suspects would be very small. Like, that yeah. would be a very small triangle. Right. It's like, uh, who stole all these bowl. random bird feathers from this conservatory? <laughs> it's like, oh, is the one guy who knows a lot about bird feathers? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyways. Yeah. All right. That's what I learned. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Um, so we're going to get into today's episode yeah. about the WWE. We have a special guest today, uh, Scott Schaefer, a colleague of ours, a real know-it-all when it comes to wrestling. Yep. He's going to join us. Been going to wrestling longer than I've never known him. And I've known him a while. Longer than you've never known him. (laughs) Better than I mumble there? Longer than I've known him. Yes. There you go. Yes. He's been been a a wrestling fan for forever. Uh, We're going to have him on the show today. So let's jump into today's interview. Interview? Conversation. (laughs) What's happening? It is, uh, it's raining again. Uh, I've been uh, in Charlottesville for five months in quarantine and has it rained a lot here like in the last couple of weeks last couple of weeks yeah with that isaiah that came through yeah yeah it just seems like obscenely wet and now it's fucking raining again i was woken up by thunder this morning for yeah. the first time in a while it was yeah. a big thunder but uh, nice rainstorm nice rainstorm yeah anyway welcome to the show uh scott says he knows everything about wrestling we wanted to jump into this wwe topic because uh definitely something that kind of was a formidable part of my childhood growing up uh, I think a lot of people watched wrestling growing up. Michael, did you watch? I watched it some. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely times when I was like body slamming my couch watching it, you know, on like a Tuesday, <laughs> right. Monday. Right. Uh, but I wasn't like the biggest fan. You and weren't like putting on uh, like like events at sleepovers and stuff? No, not so much. Oh, man. Definitely the problem for you, playing a little the, more video games at that point. Yeah. The problem for you guys is you guys being 10 years younger than me aged into one of the worst wrestling eras in like your possible like late teens, early 20 period where you were definitely give up wrestling. Oh, like, yeah. You were by, lucky. And by, then you got by 14, I was era. turned off. I mean, yeah, because it was John Cena and it sucked. The yeah. PG era of wrestling has singularly WWE becoming a public company and putting forth a PG product because Linda McMahon ran for the United States Senate in 2010 is the single greatest <laughs> thing that ruined WWE. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's take a look back quick, like a quick history of uh, the WWE started with the back in the 50s, which I didn't know about. It was that long ago. That really yeah, like took me aback. So it was either McMahon's grandfather or father. I couldn't really figure out who exactly started the Capital Wrestling Corp- Corporation back then. That uh, would be his. That would be Vince McMahon Senior, Vince's dad. Yeah. Because at the time, like when wrestling first, when WWE was actually WWWF right. first started, it was the territory period of wrestling. Yeah. So you had Vince Senior's territory was the Northeast and the Mid Atlantic. Uh, then you had, you know, the Grams had Florida, the Rhodes family would take over Georgia and North Florida. You had, you know, uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You had wrestling in Texas and Mid-South with Bill Watts and that crew. So it was a very regionalized thing very early on. But did it basically, like, spawn out of the circus community and sort of, like, come from that same, like, bloodline, call it? 
I mean, I mean a, li- a little bit. Like, it was so expensive at the time to travel that you would basically, the idea of doing touring companies was just unfathomable. So, yeah. like, to your point about circuses, yes, that seemed like a, a plausible mechanic. And then what would happen was, and this happened more like in the mid to late 70s and then the early 80s, what you would see is you would have wrestlers like Ric Flair who would go from territory to territory. So, like, Ric Flair was theoretically contractually owned by, like, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling which was owned by the Crockett family, but then he would get loaned out to other parts of the country, and like in St. Louis was a big one. So what would happen was you would have wrestlers, like the big stars, were able to kind of move through territories and make significant money in the territories, probably even more money, like... uh, based on inflation than they're making today. But then for the guys who are kind of in the middle of the pack or just strictly territory wrestlers, it was a really bad carny deal. Right. Because you were just stuck. Yeah. So you're basically all- just meat for the other guys to beat up on. And exactly. Like, maybe you have like a local following of a full people t- that like you. Full-time scout team wrestler, basically. <laughs> exactly. And like that you didn't really have national television exposure. Right. The thing that changed wrestling completely. Everybody says that Vince McMahon buying the territories is what changed wrestling. To me, it's not. What changed wrestling was when Ted Turner started the Superstation uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, it gave a national platform to mm-hmm. wrestling. And at the time, he had on uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. But then Vince McMahon, in a crazy move, would buy that slot. Uh, and actually put WWF programming on Turner Broadcasting. That relationship lasted for like three weeks, and that is what kind of spurred Vince into saying, fuck this, I need to basically buy all these territories so that I can get some national television, national footprint, and kind of put the territory era to bed. But what really changed everything was television. Yeah, so it was the consolidation of the territories, but that was brought along because he needed to get on TV, basically. Yeah, it literally had... had, had Cable television not existed. So, like, let's say TBS doesn't come to fruition. There isn't a national platform for Georgia Championship Wrestling. It probably would still be, it it probably would have been regional well into the early 90s because you had such strong foothold wrestlers. And at the time, like, say, like, for in Georgia and Florida, Dusty Rhodes, he was the booker of that territory. So, you're the biggest draw, you're booking the territory. There's no incentive for you to switch or go into anything else the thing that changed everything was basically national television vince getting spurned by tbs and then deciding okay screw this we're gonna basically buy everything up yeah and so this is all happening this would be what they call the golden era right the golden age of wrestling i guess from like the late 70s to the early 90s yeah i mean i think there's two golden age. i mean so you you have the golden age which is definitely kind of the hulk hogan period of wrestling in right. the kind of rock and wrestling period from like 85 to 90 and then you have the second sort of golden period of wrestling which was the attitude era and then some people think that we're currently going through a bit of a wrestling renaissance i do not feel that way at all okay. I, I think I, there's I, I felt at times you were pretty optimistic about wrestling i'm very optimistic about what AEW is doing Mm. very optimistic what WWE is doing I mean they brought Bruce Pritchard back which I think has made Smackdown a better show I think the worst thing that happened to WWE is going PG and now being on network television at Fox it's just you've got an era of kids so so if you think what how the Attitude Era was born right so like 
it was kids like me who grew up, you know, watching Hulk Hogan, saying our prayers, eating our vitamins, getting <laughs> get getting yoked, getting yoked by the pool, getting that hot dog skin. But then, you know, you turn like 12 or 13 and you're like, this is ridiculous. Hulk Hogan's a dick. He's clearly not a good person. Uh, I hate this good guy stuff. And the anti-hero of like a Stone Cold Steve Austin and that kind of stuff was born. And we're in that era right now where like if you were six or seven and you grew up on John Cena, right? Mm -hmm. So John Cena, modern day, you know, Hulk Hogan. So let's say you're born in 2000. Right now at, you know, if you're in your teens or your 20s, you want your version of Stone Cold. And AEW is kind of providing that as a sort of different product stream. WWE is so committed to basically being a children's product that it's really kind of alienated adult fans. Gotcha. Well, in kind of how you just described that, it kind of made it seem like like your generation of people that liked it around like that liked the attitude era uh or or b- before like the whole Kogan era just sort of like stayed the same fan base, but you got older exactly. and so like it does cycle through with you now have people that you would have been like you know call it the mature fan at like sixteen. At that time, maybe even a little younger than that, kind of saying, oh, no, this sucks, but kind of feeling like you're, um, you know, setting the tone for, you know, the kids who are like eight or nine, like maybe looking at like their older brother being like, yeah, this does suck. So I'm just exactly. I'm trying to get to the point that like people get older, but then like that old that that maturity or that change of taste like changes the WWE. Exactly. And this is the first time WWE hasn't really changed to kind of the audience taste. Mm-hmm. So like prime example. So they, they I don't know if you've been watching recently, but uh, they've introduced this new angle over the course of the last two or three weeks called retribution, which clearly, clearly, I don't give a fuck what anybody says is Antifa. It's basically <laughs> it's basically like midgets. So it's the smallest people. And I'll say this about myself. I'm a I'm a body guy probably at some level. So I definitely uh unless you're, you know, six six, three hundred pounds, you better be able to flip and flop. Right. They have taken a group of basically sub six foot tall men and women wrestlers, put them in all black with black hoods and ski masks who are completely unrecognizable. And literally they're doing Antifa level stuff where they're chainsawing the ring ropes, but it's so (laughs) cartoonishly bad that you're just kind of like, it's so out of touch. It's just like one, it's politically out of touch because you know, a good part of your youth audience, it doesn't fucking lean that way. Contrary to what Vince McMahon might think Two, it's, it's, Vanilla midgets. It's the dumbest idea in the history of Earth. Whereas you look at like what AEW is doing, and it's very much a modern adult product where you have very athletic wrestling paired with very quality, well thought out adult storylines, and you have stars who we have not been sort of dramatically overexposed to over the course of the last, you know. 10 years. I mean, the biggest problem the WWE has right now is who is the last big star that they created? It's John Cena. And John Cena's prime was 14 years ago. He's an actor now. So when I look back on it, like, so I I think there's a, there's probably a a multitude of reasons I lost interest. But one, like you mentioned, when, you know, when uh, Linda McMahon runs for, for office and it starts getting soft, 
wrestling to me was like smut growing up. Like they were irreverent. They were cussing. I was not allowed to watch after my dad uh, saw them say suck it on TV. And so then I had to like right. sneak off and watch. It was like basically wrestling in South Park where yeah. like things I had to get away yeah. with. And you had, you know, you had like uh, Stone Cold with his Austin 316. Like all of my more like church friendly f- like f- uh, friends were like, oh, you can't watch that. That's like, that's, you know, that's blasphemous. Uh, blasphemous. It's going against the John 316 thing. And so I thought I was like, this is awesome. I'm getting away with something, that right. whole thing. And then you're this like, rebellious attitude towards it. And then pair that with me, like maybe growing up and losing interest just normally, organically, I, I stopped watching basically. Yeah. But like having, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin say, you know, Austin 316 just whipped your ass and all that stuff. Like that was to me, I was like, oh, this is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, like the problem for me is somebody who consumes 11 hours of wrestling every week, who watches every ounce of Raw, every ounce of SmackDown, every ounce of NXT and AEW. It's there's nothing in WWE. NXT is the closest thing to something that I might recommend to you to say, hey, if you're a lapsed fan, right? Because there's so much talk in the industry right now about lapsed fans. So like somebody like you who enjoyed it for a period in your life, enjoyed it kind of into plausible, you know, young adulthood. Mm-hmm. How do how do we get you back invested? And the problem is if I sat you down and showed you the Antifa thing on SmackDown, like the next time I see you in the office, we're going to sit and watch it. It's the most <laughs> fucking ludicrous thing on the face of the earth and then you pair that with things like when they have something cool like bray wyatt with the fiend character yeah they just completely kill it because they're now having him wrestle as 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 actual bray wyatt not as the fiend and he's catching losses so you're like what are we doing yeah. here and the, and for the longest time growing up you know stone cold very rarely lost the rock rarely lost Hogan rarely lost. Well, they, and they Cena lost to each other as well, I feel like. Yeah, Cena didn't lose all that much. The problem now is you have 50-50 booking in WWE, yeah. where like wins and losses literally don't matter. So one week Randy Orton wins, the next week he loses. So it's like, how do I as a fan go, okay, this guy has got a rocket ship attached to him. He's, he's jumping up. This is somebody I need to care about when every other week he's losing matches. And the, I think the, the confluence of things, of 50-50 booking, you know, paired with lack of defined character. And clearly they've made the business decision that they want to push the brand and not the talent, yeah. which is why they haven't created stars. I, I don't know short of saying, Hey, watch AEW. I wouldn't recommend anything in WWE without feeling horribly embarrassed to be like, Hey, watch this. This is pretty cool. Yeah. When, when you talk about the booking, are they, are, are titles just getting passed around like crazy? Cause I, I feel like titles used to be held onto for a while. Exactly. So in WWE, you've had multiple. So short of the WWE title and the Universal Championship, they don't get traded very often. But the Tag Team Championships and the Intercontinental Championships have been traded so many times. Whereas when I was a kid, you know, the Intercontinental Championship was the Workers' Championship. That was the championship of Ricky Steamboat, Randy Savage, of the guys who were the best workers in the company. And they held on to the title for extreme amounts of time. It was also like a title that you could give to the guy like the Ultimate warrior to basically tell fans in the Hulk Hogan era this is the next fucking guy and because they've denigrated those things you're just kind of you don't care about anything yeah um you you had mentioned you know you watch all of Raw watch all of Smackdown NXT all that kind of stuff so maybe I, I'm wrong and I just didn't pick up on this but when I I feel like when I was watching Raw and Smackdown and all that stuff existed but if you held a belt, you held it for all of WWE. Is it true? So now they have their own like cast of, of superstars. Per, like They're broken up into Raw, into SmackDown. They have their own belts there as well. Yeah, so this is another problem. <laughs> 
because they're they're prior to AEW starting, and I think the best thing that could happen for wrestling is AEW not going up against NXT, which it's destroying, is going up against SmackDown or Raw because yeah. I think that would lead to better booking. But right now, they in 2004 they did the first brand split. So basically, they had a draft. They had a storyline draft where Vince McMahon picked the roster for SmackDown. Ric Flair picked the roster for Raw. And that was kind of how they divided the roster, created championships for each brand, and then created this quasi-competition amongst the brand. That has gone in and out of favor in WWE of court across the last 16 years. So they've, they've, they've put them back together for a period of time. And then in 20, I want to say 2016, 2017, they split the brands again Mm -hmm. um and then it's now even more definitively split between sort of the fox wrestlers on smackdown and the usa wrestlers on raw the problem is is whenever they have ratings trouble they'll do cross-brand stuff so it's not like it's not like sort of the way it used to be in major league baseball where there was real excitement when you got to the world series because these teams just didn't play each other it's kind of alleviated some of that excitement and the fact that they're two champions you're like well who the fuck's the champion yeah right (laughs) yeah that makes sense it's confusing it's just it's just it's too much yeah it's just it's i think think if they were better at what they were doing, you would tell a coordinated story through Raw and SmackDown, have NXT be its kind of own unique thing, because it's a t- totally different brand. It's developmental talent. It feels more like what they're trying to do with AEW, with a WWE spin to it. But uh, this idea that you, the roster, everyone thinks that the WWE has this great fucking roster right now. So, like, the pervasive theory in wrestling is that this is one of the deepest, greatest rosters in the history of wrestling that's just booked poorly. I could not disagree more. Yeah. I think the reason these the wrestling is suffering and the ratings are dumping, people don't care about these guys. Braun Strowman's not Hulk Hogan. Drew McIntyre's not the rocker Stone Cold Steve Austin. They don't have these transcendent figures who, the way you got to think about it is, you need two or three guys that if you had to put them on the Today Show or put them on Good Morning America, they would make sense. You can't put any of these guys on any of those shows and go, okay, this is a landmark institutional star right I, I i was looking at just the list of superstars on their website and even when i wasn't watching i you know i knew john cena i knew randy orton i, I you you know these names i don't know any like whoever you just named drew drew mcintyre what's his name i, I don't I have no yeah. idea who that is like <laughs> yeah the champions of wwe are drew mcintyre who was a jobber wrestler for much of the middle part of his career and braun Strowman. Yeah. where you go what Yeah. I mean, these are guys who in the 80s, Braun Strowman would have been Big John Studd, who's like near the top of the mid card. Drew McIntyre would be like an enhancement talent at some level for, you know, Hulk Hogan. He probably would have been part of the villain factory. They just don't have a guy. And the, the guys who you could do that stuff with are like Chris Jericho. Are Cody Rhodes? Are the Young Bucks? Are Kenny Omega? Those guys are all in a different federation. So I think that's the thing that's killing WWE at some level is the guys who are probably going to be and have the potential to be transcendent kind of figures are in a different promotion. I mean, Chris Jericho is probably the most famous guy in wrestling right now. He doesn't wrestle in WWE. That guy's got longevity right there. Yeah, I mean, he's going he's gonna to wrestle Mike Tyson probably at uh, All Out. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Have you ever... Uh... Did you ever have like dreams of being a WWE superstar, Scott? 
No, I mean, that is not, uh, I definitely feel like I could have done the talking part. I could have been like a Bobby Heenan style manager, but <laughs> a Paul the, Bear. yeah, the, the thought of, uh, the thought of actually doing that is horrifying. Right. Plus like, I think, you know, with some of my personal vices, I definitely would have be a, uh, an opioid addict in a Nebraska, <laughs> in a Nebraska motel six right now. Gotcha. Well, so I looked into a little bit of like how you get into the WWE and short of having your father be Ric Flair or something. Uh, basically, there. So there's the performance center, right? You have to apply to it. I looked at the application. They just want to know basically normal stuff: height, weight, what's your athletic experience. Do you submit a video or anything? You submit a video. You submit headshots, body mm-hmm. shots, all that kind of stuff. There's like an explicit disclaimer. It was like this is on, this this uh, application is only in English. But then it asks you <laughs> if you speak English later. Anyway, I thought it was yeah, kind of no, weird. Interesting. Um, well, well, but so well, hey, right, you know. Uh, so you fill out the application. I assume they, they like what they see. They invite you to a tryout. You pass that tryout. You do well enough. You're invited to the performance center where I guess you get training from, I mean, like Shawn Michaels is there, William Regal, Norman Smiley, all those guys are there running the show. It seems like, um, from there. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So the current, that is the current system. And I think that is also part of the problem is that, you know, prior to Hulk Hogan becoming Hulk Hogan, he wrestled in Vern Gagne's AWA. So still national notoriety, but it's a place where you can ply your craft and actually in front of an audience and figure out on your own, not with someone telling you what to do, scripting what you're supposed to do, where you can figure out your gimmick, figure out who you are and present that. Like the idea that like somebody like Steve Austin who went from WCW to then inventing Stone Cold Steve Austin and ECW in front of 600 people in a bingo hall, like, That that's the greatest yeah. sort of performance art experience you can get. The well, problem now is it's too homogenized. Well, there's so no, there's no trade. Bef- I, I want to talk a little bit more about the star development aspect of, of the WWE, but I want to touch on sort of the story elements and the fact that that you know whenever you talked about whenever you talk about wrestling with somebody, certainly a hater, they're going to say it's fake. Yeah, right. So like, let's talk a little bit about how much of the WWE is scripted and how much of it is known prior versus how much is like also just sort of like, oh, the audience kind of took this over and is running with the story that we kind of have to go in that direction. I mean, do do you know about some of like the writing teams? Like, are they making adjustments like week to week or night to night? And how much of like, the, do the wrestlers also just not have to follow it if they don't want to? Well, I mean, real quick, I, I heard an interview with The Big Show recently and he said he's seen... They had like an eight o'clock curtain time and they were changing the script up until 7 p.m. that day. Hmm. Yeah. So I see, think that, it's like very much on the fly. That's part of the huge problem, right? So the way wrestling storytelling was done for the first 50 years of wrestling was basically the boys, the wrestlers, would be given an idea of what they were supposed to do. So you would essentially say, okay, these are the four things we want to accomplish in this promo. This is what we want to do in the match. This is the result of the match. Everything else, go figure out on your own. You know what I mean? So there was, uh, so there was like a central nervous system controlling the high-level elements of the story, but then like the nuance of how you tell that story is left up to the wrestlers? That's what you're exact- saying? 
Exactly. So like there was this idea and this was a really like positive thing early on, which was called getting over on your own, where this idea where you as a wrestler had, okay, this is who's going to win. This is what we want to like the five or six moves we want to get done in the match. If there's going to be any talking here, are the kind of storyline things I need to hit in my promo, but everything else, it's incumbent on me as the performer to go out with the crowd, get it over, get the crowd into it, and make it something special. The problem now is, is uh, Michael, I think you know this. In 2008, 2009, after we finished Way of War, I actually had like a cup of coffee with WWE where I went up there for a week, uh, interned on the writing team, did all that kind of stuff, and it just realized it completely wasn't for me. And also, at that time, realized this is what's killing the business. Because essentially, the structure that they had was, it was like a normal television writing show, mm-hmm. where like you would have like 10 writers, each of the writers would have 10 assistants, they would come up with stuff, pitch it to Vince McMahon, and then Vince McMahon would kind of figure out exactly what the show would be, and then tell them what the show is, and then literally with all the promos, they're now scripted by writers. So as opposed to saying to somebody like, I mean, if you could imagine this, imagine saying to The Rock, who's one of the greatest live performers in the history of anything, here's exactly verbatim what we want you to say. It would be terrible. You basically need to give The Rock two or three catchphrases, say this is conceptually what we want you to get across, go fucking make magic. And so the problem now is everything is scripted to the T. So there are a couple of wrestlers who they trust who are allowed to kind of go off book, but for pretty much everybody else, your promos are scripted word for word, your matches are laid out with producers move for move, uh, the storylines are scripted uh, basically word for word, and that can kind of work if you do really good long-term storytelling. But the problem now is, is WWE, because the ratings have slipped so bad, they're so obsessed with minute-to-minute Nielsen numbers that part of the reason that they're changing stuff on the fly is, is I think Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, the writing staff is so concerned with what's going to happen minute-to-minute that they almost have to hot-shot book the show so that you know you make sure at 9.14 you have some kind of a peak. And so that leads to this not logical, not contiguous storytelling. Uh, whereas if you look at like AEW, AEW doesn't have writers. It's literally Tony Khan and a couple of the guys saying, okay, here are the overarching storylines we want to do. Here are some bullet points we want to give like an MJF who's going to be the biggest talker in the business. What do we want him to say? And they just send him out and he goes and he just fucking destroys it. Yeah. So they're putting a lot more influence on the talent and the the people being able to build these characters rather than having just a team behind them writing crap. Well, yeah, it would be like the head coach. You know, it's it would be like in the NFL if they didn't turn the quarterback uh, voice off with 15 seconds left in the play clock. I mean, could you imagine how complex like Jared Goff's deal would be with Sean McVay in his ear throughout the whole play? Yeah. He is this athlete can't fucking accomplish that. It's right. not it's not what he's capable of doing, but. You've got guys, it's like Lamar Jackson. Imagine doing that with a talent like Lamar Jackson saying, oh, we don't want you to do this, this, and this. You have to exist in this system. For me, you got to trust the boys, and you got to let them go get over and make money. Yeah. Well, I mean, trying to, to micromanage everything will just take away all the, the elements of you know, improvisation that make a good story. Well, and, 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 and make it organic and, yeah, and spontaneous and sort of like bring people in because it's sort of like playing out kind of new for them like yeah. they don't really know exactly how this is going to go and i think that that danger call it it's not, you know 
but that that danger to the story makes it keeps it interesting. Well, that's why fans like Eric Bischoff, who ran WCW, has talked about this a lot. Where like they did tons of market research on fans, and what they found out was the number one thing that fans like is spontaneity. Because you, if you know everything is scripted, but you get these moments that feel organic or outside of the script, then you suspend your disbelief and you go, "Oh fuck, this is real." Well, so and I'm going to make a quick political point here, but. Trump came has a lot of these same followers in his base. And I thought that the, that Trump's winning in 2016 was so kind of unscripted, like wow, I can't believe they let him do this that I think it kind of played into their the way that they consume stories and consume the WWE and this sort of like almost played out like a WWE show. Exactly. Like I mean, people like this idea of playing without a net, right? Yeah. That's why Saturday Night Live has worked for 50 years almost. Is this idea of live television playing without a net, trying to get something out? You're going to get these moments. So you kind of live for them where it's like, is somebody going to say something that you're not expecting? Are you going to get an Austin 316 style catchphrase? Are you going to get, do you smell what the rock is cooking? That can't happen. Is Jimmy Fallon going to break? Right. That's not going to happen on a whiteboard in a writing. No. Yeah. And I think they've lost track of that. And it's, and maybe it's a business decision that they don't want wrestlers to get bigger than the business, but that's what wrestling's built on. It's not, it's not the storytelling. It's not called storytelling. It's called wrestling. Well, and let me bring up something else that I think kind of dovetails into another like up and coming media organization right now. But and it's, it's still staying inside of like the WWE storytelling mechanics. But do you think kind of opening up transparency into the fact that there's a company running things and sometimes storylines can include people's contracts and some of the inner workings of the business, kind of how that also is now playing out in like a company like Barstool, where you kind of have these storylines that are playing out. Like people could be a fan of a podcast, but then the podcast producers have a inner struggle with between themselves, between management and that story plays out and it almost allows the brand to constantly stay larger than the show and manage it so that they don't get into a situation where some show has more value than the brand or some star even. Yeah. But I think even if somebody gets bigger, so like using the barstool analogy, right? Like let's say big cat had quit because of the Trump interview, right? Yeah. yeah. They've got a roster and they've got a bench of people who can fill some of those roles so that if you create an environment where people basically, and barstool is a really good analogy because I think barstool is very close to sort of wrestling. Cause I'm pretty sure it's kind of scripted it's reality. Very sim- yeah, it feels very similar. But to me, you kind of look at it and you go, if you create an environment where everybody can kind of develop their own character, that when you lose somebody like that, so when you lose a Stone Cold Steve Austin in 2000 with for injury, you've got four guys in Triple H, Mick Foley, The Rock, and uh, The Big Show who can step in and fill that role and you don't get a drop off. But if you script everything, it makes it much harder to create this deep bench so that inevitably when somebody moves on, the next several guys are ready to step into it, which we're seeing play out right now where like if you look at wrestlemania cards across the last five to ten years they've been headlined by former wrestlers coming back to wrestle one-off matches 
that is if that isn't an indignation of what they feel about the roster and if that's not an indignation of the system that they're creating to have guys like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn step into what they probably could step into I don't know what is yeah yeah I mean there's no trust that they could headline a show I mean right. basically oh they need to they need ratings they're going to call one of their old guys like exactly yeah. well I mean I think you could I mean the Similar things are happening in other sports that aren't written, right? Like, I mean, you had take take the PGA, the PGA Tour had Tiger Woods. Nothing was written, but he or, or like Michael Jordan, even like developing the NBA. I think all of these kind of all these leagues require need a big superstar in order to, need- to carry them to the promised land of of popularity. But and it's almost kind of why I feel like baseball is struggling right now. I don't feel like there is a major superstar that that carries the entire league. Well, they haven't marketed players. Baseball, since Ken Griffey Jr., right, who was one of the most mass-marketed, cleverly put-together campaign pieces, the only sport that can quasi-do this is the NFL. And even the NFL is a star factory in terms of how it promotes players. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... uh, I think WWE has to look at like the model of the NBA. You go from Jordan to Kobe to LeBron to now probably Giannis. Like Dame. There, there's Dame there's never killing it. Yeah, I mean there's not a drop off in saying, "Hey, we're going to put all our eggs in this basket because we believe in our ability to create the next star and we have a system that supports that." Yeah. It's, and maybe it, it's I I don't know, maybe it's Vince got old. And the testosterone things happening, but you gotta you gotta grow a pair. Yeah, uh, one one thing I just thought of really quickly that is, is off topic, but in like recent watches of like any WWE event, they're putting commercials in the middle of matches. Yeah, you come back and they're still on the top rope, like getting ready to jump off. Basically. What the hell is that about? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's this idea of picture. So a couple things. When Raw went from two hours to three hours, a lot of bad things happen. Three hours is too long for a wrestling show because what ends up happening is you basically have to book your show around two or three extremely long matches. They they only have trust in several guys to do. So if you watch yeah. it, you'll see week after week, you'll see Seth Rollins wrestle the same. He'll wrestle Aleister Black seven weeks in a row in 25-minute matches. So because their matches have to be so long, because they're not doing promo work, Mm -hmm. you basically have to go to commercials. And if you don't do picture in picture, there's been a lot of research into the ratings drop off of people coming back and seeing a match midstream. They, They either tune out the first part of the match or they come back for the second part of the match. They tend to not watch it the whole way through without picture in picture. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You come back in the middle of a story, basically, or you don't really know what's going on, or you just get or you just get off bored right in the middle with it. of a story. Yeah. Well, it's all, it's also like yeah. So it's it's them not really understanding how sports work, right? Yeah. So like Vince has this idea where I, I like he said on the record like he doesn't want to have matches end at commercials because regular sports don't work like that. What fucking sports are you watching? Yeah. There isn't NBA games that happen during commercials. Hockey games don't happen during commercials. The NFL NFL isn't taking 10 plays and burying them in a fucking commercial. Yeah. Full, there's a reason full-time timeouts go to commercial. <laughs> right. Exist. TV timeouts. So, yeah. so, stop, so stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, AEW does this too, and it fucking boggles well, my mind. Well, Like, just contain it to the segment. 
well, but also a part of this, I mean, I know that TV revenue has been a major source for WWE. I mean, that's like kind of how they book their value. But I thought that they had a lot of, of value added to just, you know, the, the WWE network. So aren't there a lot of those subscribers? Can, couldn't Suppose- it just go with them? Like, shouldn't they just worry about them? And so why are we doing this thing where we're trying to micromanage minute by minute and we should just make the best product we can? For, for some unknown reason, they've now decided because they can't seem to break through like the 1.5, 1.8 threshold of subscribers to WWE Network. Mm-hmm. They apparently just don't give a shit about it anymore. So they're not creating tons of new content for it. It is the home of the pay-per-views. But there's now talk that they're going to basically have WWE Network kind of semi-function like a free Peacock-style network and then take their pay-per-view business and give it to either ESPN Plus or Peacock. Peacock to go back to a paid pay-per-view model, hmm. which to me, you go, what are you doing? Yeah. You can't you can't take something and for five years, give it to fans for $9.99 a month. And then because your live event business was dying prior to COVID happening and COVID is the death nail in it, that's not an effective business model to fix it. What is an effective business model to fix it is you better get your fucking television ratings right, which means you need fucking promo work. Because if you look at the if you look at the minute by minute ratings, it's not the matches that usually perform tremendously. In the old days, the the last segment match would, but it was the promo stuff that popped, and they just don't have guys who can go out and deliver effective promos. Like if you want to watch something, you know, where you see guys cut great promos, turn on AEW tonight and watch MJF. He might be the best new promo guy in the business since The Rock, and they just kind of let him do his thing. It's the highest rated segments on the show. Hmm. You heard it here. That's, right. first That's how you fix it. That's how you fix lock it, it up. Uh, I wanted to talk quickly about Vince McMahon because, and, and I guess this kind of is more, we'll use Vince McMahon as like a metaphor for the entire company, but it's, it's hard to, I feel like it's hard to separate Vince McMahon, the CEO founder, whatever from Mr. McMahon, the character, but you have to imagine that. And I don't even know if he had like the one event I'm going to talk about. I'm not sure if he had a hand in it, but he's, he's running the company. So you have to assume he knows what's going on, but, when there's like controversy, shit, sorry. When there's controversies that expand, that like are in the ring, take like taken from something that's happened in real life, like when, like when Reed Flair passed away and then and then was used in a promo for a Charlotte Flair fight, like two years later. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like that's a pretty messed up situation, and like obviously it, it creates ratings and stuff like that. But has there have there been any other events? I'm not sure if I'm getting my, I'm getting my question out right. Have there been other events where there's like real life controversies that extend into the ring, basically? Oh God, yeah. I mean, I think wrestling is at its best when either real or not real, people believe that there is some behind the scenes wheeling and dealing and you know animus that then spills out into television. I mean, there's tons of instances like that. Like yeah. uh, Matt Hardy was dating Lita. Uh, for forever and then uh, got hurt went off the road Lita started having an affair with Edge and then when Matt Hart Hardy came in real life, and then when Matt Hardy came back, it led to one of the greatest on-screen feuds ever between Edge and Matt Hardy. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's tons of examples. You know, Ric Flair's just absolute disdain for Eric Bischoff, Stone Cold Steve Austin leaving, taking his ball and going home because he didn't want to lose to Brock Lesnar. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of examples, and that's a prime example of when wrestling's at its best. Is yeah. that when you, as the audience member, can sit there and sort of suspend your disbelief and go, "I know a lot of this." 
is fake, but that part is real. That's when you have them, and that's when you get bananas rated. So is that, I mean, you think that's McMahon behind all of that, or is that his team, or what's, I mean, he's obviously done something right, but. I think for time, for, I mean, the one thing about Vince McMahon that everybody says is, you know, the, Everybody always comes back. So, you know, he's had he had a major falling out with CM Punk. CM Punk has sued WWE. They've sued CM Punk. CM Punk will be back in a WWE ring at some point in his life. Like the one of the greatest parts about Vince McMahon is he'll do what's best for business. So he's a he has a keen understanding of okay, these inherent controversies, these bad relationships that I've had with people or bad business relationships the companies have with people. Everybody comes back. The warrior came back. You know, superstar Billy Graham came back. Bruno San Martino came back. They all come back. Hogan came back. Bret I mean, Hart didn't fuck. come back. No, Bret Hart did come back. Did he? Bret Hart wrestled in the main event against Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 26 in Phoenix the weekend I met <laughs> Father Peliquin. And that was after the Montreal screw job? Yeah. No, okay. he came All right. because and this will tell you a lot about Vince. So like Brett's talked a lot about so in he wrestled a match here in DC at Starcade at the last Starcade where he got a concussion in a match with Bill Goldberg yeah. and then that would lead to a bike accident he had where he actually had a pretty major stroke and when he was in the hospital the first call he got was from Vince McMahon and it was a pep talk from Vince and they hadn't talked in like 6 years mm-hmm. basically saying look you can get through this so i mean i think I think Vince is a strange combination of probably a horrible human being, one of the greatest guys on the face of the earth, and does what's right for his company, yeah. uh, and at sometimes does what's wrong with his company. But to your to your question about sort of these real life controversies, everybody comes back, and the greatest stories that they have told typically revolve around these guys coming back and then working through that acrimony. Yeah. All right. Um- I have one last question, real quick question, and then we'll get into our expansion draft here. But uh, so there, there seems to be two sides of the coin when you're talking about WWE superstars. You're either you're the fan favorite or you're, you play in the heel. So if you had to if you had to choose, which one would you rather play? I'll give oh, that to heel. both of you guys. Heel. Heel. Heel's the best. Michael. Uh, yeah, I think I'd probably go heel. I got to agree. And I, I mean, I, and I, I mean this like if you can do it successfully, because I feel yeah. like if you can make f- fans hate you so much, they can't stop like thinking about you playing the heel. That's yeah. got to be like the, the ultimate. Right. OK, so this is a good point about the problem with wrestling today. So f- for the longest time in the 70s, 80s and 90s, there was this idea of kayfabe where yeah. uh, guys would basically live their gimmick outside of the ring. So, like, for example, Mark Calloway, The Undertaker, he was very aloof outside of the ring, would rarely do appearances, rarely sign autographs, always appeared as The Undertaker. The problem now is with heels is you you can be a bad guy in the ring, but then you live this normal life on social media. Mm-hmm. Those things don't work. Yeah. And there's one guy who is living the gimmick, and he's going to be the biggest wrestler in the world, and it's this guy MJF in AEW. He's an asshole on TV. He's an asshole in real life. He's <laughs> I've seen him in autograph lines turn away mentally challenged children. <laughs> he he is living the gimmick. Yeah. And it's gonna pay dividends in terms of him being the biggest star in the business. Well, that's a good point because it's gotta be so much harder to play a heel now because there are so Wait. many you're so accessible, so much more accessible now than you were in the early two thousands, the nineties, the eighties, what have you. Like you have to be. It's twenty four seven. Yeah, I didn't you can't think just, about you that. You can't leave an event. You go gotta to a hotel commit room so, and be. 
Well, also, aren't, aren't a lot of people driving a lot of revenue from outside the ring? And, like, who's going to be promoting the, the heel to promote, you know, cornflakes? Like, yeah. who- it, it, exactly. And so, like, this is my problem with Bray Wyatt, right? You're the fiend, okay? You're the supernatural fucking devil. You can't be on the sidelines of an XFL game. Doesn't work. Do- isn't, yeah. do- doesn't jive. It's not... There's, there's no part of that that's congruent. So, like, you have to put yourself in a situation where you got to live your gimmick. If you're John Cena, be John Cena. Do do 300 make-a-wishes. Be the greatest guy on the face of the earth. But if you're a heel, have the discipline to be a dickhead all the fucking time. <laughs> I love that. And I think that's exa- exactly right. And then that, isn't that – that's always what um – like Pacino and uh, De Niro have always said, like you, if you're a really good actor, you have to sort of hide who you are. You got to exactly. You can't, you can't show, you know, you can't show your your interpersonal life because it just breaks that wall for people. Live the gimmick. Yeah. The yeah. greatest wrestlers of all time live the gimmick. Ric Flair is in every fucking rap song known to man because he lived the gimmick. He, he was in two plane crashes because he was a Learjet flying, limousine riding son of a gun. You gotta live the gimmick because if you don't, it's fake. This is my problem with a lot of guys in WWE right now. Yeah. You can't, if you're Kevin Owens and you're a heel, you can't be showing that you're dad of the fucking century on social media. It doesn't work. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I until you brought it up, I hadn't thought about how much more on they have to be these days in order to pull this off. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and MJF, what is his? I don't know who this is. What's his name? Maxwell Jacob Freeman. So he goes by MJF. Okay. He's going to wrestle John Moxley in the main event of uh, AEW All Out. He's probably the biggest ascendant sort of star that we have in the business, and he is un fucking believable on the microphone like tonight tune in aw if you're gonna watch anything just watch his segment okay and you'll go oh, this is it. Okay. it it's borderline he's he's borderline as gifted on the mic as the rock all right <laughs> well i will watch that then sounds great okay for our final little segment here the 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 premise is if there was an expansion organization uh, a new a new wrestling organization and you had your pick of any wrestlers of all time to fill out your roster. We're going to do five. Who would they be? We're going to start with Scott. Then we'll go Michael number two, Michael Pelican, and then myself. And then we'll do a snake draft and come back around. So Scott, who's your number one pick? It's it's down on with kings and queens down on pork and beans. It's the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Scott Hall. Love Razor Ramon. <laughs> The number one pick, Scott Hall. That's, that's, that's my number one pick. It's a very bold pick. He's got to be in my company. Yeah. He, he is a locker room leader. Yeah. I need him. Well, so then I'll take two here. And my number one is going to be no, no question about it. I had the chain wallet when I was in middle school. Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> Just what my, one of, he, he was one of my favorite people of all time, I would say. Uh, so that'll be my number one pick. Number two, I feel like you got to have a good heel, and nobody's done it longer, uh, I don't think, than uh, Chris Jericho. So I'll take him at two. It's a good one. Got right, no Michael. comment there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm 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 holding my breath because I think I'm going to get some steals here. Yep. You're up, Scott. No, it's you. Oh, it's back. No, on it's me. you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm going to go with the tried and true. No, I don't know. Go with the Georgia grad, Goldberg. <laughs> Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. <laughs> so so Traps in the for days. 
So in the steals of the century, I am somehow at picks like five and six, looking into The Rock and Ric Flair. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Those were t- two guys on my next list. See, I'm filling <laughs> yes. mine out here. Here we go. These are also just like who I like the best, I feel like. Yeah, no, it's totally good. Lots of strong names still on the board. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, your oh, third pick. Uh, my third pick, I'm going to go with the female pick. I'm getting the Bella Twins. <laughs> are you taking both of them? <laughs> yeah, I'm taking both of them. You can't only, you can't only get one. Well, then I get, can I take they all come of, together. Can I take all of uh, Gen- Degeneration X? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, then I was also going to take a female, but I'm going to wait until later for that. Uh I'm going to go with Undertaker as my third pick. It's very bold. Very Gotta take bold. the taker. Uh, and as my fourth pick, I will take China. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have, you gotta have some diversity in the cast. You do. And yeah. you're a huge fan of her work outside of WWE. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with uh, Shawn Michaels. Shawn it's Michaels. A very, good one. It's a very good pick. Yep. The problem now is you, you got to – so I'm going Hogan and Warrior with my next yeah. two snake picks. Yeah. You can obviously see the, the, the generational gap between our picks and yours as well, I think. Totally, to, <laughs> to, totally good. All right, Michael, your last pick. Um, oh, mine got I'm, – no, I'm going to take him because I think this, this guy really this – is, he's a horrible wrestler, uh-huh. but I think he's got a great intro, and I always love seeing people with like – Sing his song in the Metro after seeing a show in New York. I'm going with Fandango. (laughs) (laughs) Fandango with the fifth pick. I think it's just hilarious. He's just an absolutely hilarious character. (laughs) So many Hall of Famers on the board. (laughs) And Michael goes Fandango. Yeah. Well, for my final pick, this is is just going to be a callback to my childhood. I remember walking around my dad's house uh, carrying a piece of wood and an American flag. Screaming out, ho! I'm taking Hacksaw Jim Duggan with my last pick. There we go. All right. Well, I will put my five up against your five any day of the week. The thing is, my five win in my book every day. So you're going to lose against that. (laughs) Scott, uh, thanks so much for joining us. You know a lot about wrestling. Yeah, it's weird. It's gross. We'll, uh, We'll watch AEW tonight. Do you want to? We can plug again. Make sure you guys are listening to the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. Anywhere we talk no podcasts. wrestling. No wrestling there. Just some good football talk with the man himself, Bill Polian, Scott Schaefer, and uh, Rick Schaefer as well. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's show. Hope you enjoyed uh, the conversation with Scott. I I'm really glad. enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. I learned a lot. Said my piece. Uh, I, I also like how in the show, I don't feel like we have to hit all the facts perfectly now. Why start? Because that was never our like strong suit, <laughs> you know. Like ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, something happened. They came from such and such. Yeah, but so much better now. Yeah, we just get somebody smart on the show. The show goes great. It, it, that's the key to all this. Excellent. Yeah. Everybody have a great weekend. We will be back next week. Our topic for next week <laughs> is long haul trucking. <laughs> if you don't like these topics, send us recommendations. We want to hear what you want us to talk about. Please. But we're doing long haul trucking. There's nothing you need to stop us. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. All right. Have a great weekend. <laughs>